Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Terrence Malagone and Chris Flannery. One guest this week, but it is a guest that uh, those people who are listening to this podcast will uh, be very familiar with. It is Bob Lee. And last week, Bob Lee announced he would retire from ESPN at the end of June after 40 years with the network. He was ESPN's longest serving commentator joining ESPN as a Sports Center anchor on its third day of operation, September 9th, 1979. He had hosted Outside the Line since its inception in May of 1990. He was also a host of the weekly E60 show on Sunday mornings. He was the face of the network's World Cup coverage and soccer coverage, and I'd be here all day if I was going to list more of his resume, so I will just bring him in now. Bob Lee, welcome. Maybe welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. <laughs> hey, it's been, it's been a while, Rich. How you doing? All right. Well, really, more importantly, how are you doing? Uh, so I'm, pe- I'm people great. will I'm yeah. <laughs> people will speculate on your reasons for leaving, so let's just delve into this right away. Um, how much of this was um, your decision? Get, 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 ver- get, off, get off the grassy knoll, folks. <laughs> get off. The, I, I put out a statement. It's 100% true. Please, why does no one believe that? I know you believe it. Um, how much it, it was 1,000% my decision. I, let's just make that point and move off because the company was magnificent. Uh, conversations I had with Connor Shell and Jimmy Pitaro, they were just, they were princes. I could have, uh, I could have easily remained and, and, and redefined a role. And it was a very difficult decision. The most difficult part about it was just not seeing my good friends every day. We're going to stay in touch. But the people, as you well know, the people are what make any organization. Uh, I mean, that's, that's why you go to work. Um, and so it was, I'm in perfect health, as far as I know. Um, blessed with good family and friends. And it was just a decision after reflection that it was, it was just time to, to make a change. And, and it's all mine. And any scintilla of a suggestion to the contrary is not only ill-informed but malicious libel. Bob, how did you, as best you want to describe it, how did you come to this decision and who were among the people you discussed said decision with? Um, it involves a lot of personal factors that, you know, I, you know, don't really want to get into. Uh, professionally, I spoke with friends of mine who, and this goes back over a year, I'd been mulling a change, a break, um, a, a, a sabbatical to leave. I spoke with some friends who had retired, tried to get their mindset on, you know, the adjustment and friends in this field and other fields. Um, and I spoke to the people that, who were important in my life and um, uh, friends, family, and some in the business, many out of the business. And it helps to have that out of, I think, we get so caught up in what we do. And what we do is important, but it's, you know, we're not splitting the atom. And we're not staffing an ER, and we're not teachers. I mean, you know, those are the important jobs in society. And just we're reporting on sports, and it's it's great. But I, it's it's necessary and important to get a view outside of of your world. And when, when you're so busy and so on deadline and and, and so caught up, it, it's easy, I think, to have myopia about that. So I, I felt it was important to step back and, and look, you know, get the thirty thousand foot view, and. You know, it's something that's on your mind every day since you, um, you know, since I began the, the leave back in, in, in October of, of last year of 18. And, you know, whether it's an hour or whether it's two hours or whether it's 15 minutes, you spend time on it every day. So 
when we finally got to the decision, you know, this this is the best for us. Um, it's despite the fact I hadn't been in the office, hadn't been on deadline, hadn't been working. It just feels right, and you know, it's been a humbling experience in the last four or five days. The reaction from friends and and from people I'll never meet, and or people I met and, and just chance encounters. It, it's just astonishing. And as much as that all means to me, and I'm, let me tell you, if you're one of those who reached out, it means a great, great deal to my family and to me. Um, it also reaffirms that, you know what, that's good. We can punctuate it and feel good. We, we did some good, we think, and, and move on. So, you know, that's the box top version. Bob, what did you do during, those, uh, during that sabbatical? Did you, I don't know, did you, I mean, did you go into the woods somewhere and contemplate life? What were you doing? I was taking all the lint out of my navel and it's, it's gone. And you'd be surprised that much linking it. Um, you know, you'd be surprised how quickly uh, a couple of errands and, and a couple of the, trying to get some things done for other people and sleeping to normal hours and exercising, spending time on yourself and, you know, and properly eating a good breakfast, which rather than eating a bagel as you're driving to work, because you got a 7am meeting, you'd be surprised how much time when you, downshift your life you suddenly have for yourself but uh, you know we spent some time we have a getaway place uh, in a warmer climate we spent some time there spent some time uh, around my alma mater Seton Hall um, we welcomed a new granddaughter to our family and that of course was joyous and, and you know joyously took up a fair amount of time involved in that and reading for pleasure reading books for pleasure I mean I you know you, you know what it's like. It was the last time you sat down with a good hardcover, not not even something on your Kindle, and just like used a bookmark and said, "I want to spend ninety minutes with this book." Things like that, and trying not to feel guilty about it too, because you know there there is when you're plugged in, when you're going you know a hundred miles an hour, and and you have to be plugged in. It just says every all the great people who work on outside the lines who I've spent so much time with, you know, you look at the timestamp on the emails that come in with ideas and reflections and suggestions and breaking news. And it's, it's all consumptive. And, you know, there's no halfway because there's only one way to do the very best show at our standards. And it's, it falls out flat at, you know, all chips on the table, but that takes, that takes something out of you after a while. It does. And you, you need to assess, is that where I want to still be? Bob, what is your interest level in appearing on ESPN as a one-off, let's say, massive news breaks or something of great interest to you? Would you consider uh, shuttling to Bristol and popping on or popping on from wherever you happen to be living? That's a hypothetical, and I can easily hide behind the old, I'll never answer hypothetical. Listen, it's it's going to be a long time, if ever, before I change the pronouns, we, us, ours, um, I, you know, people there are family to me, and, and I spent 40 professional years there. So certainly, you know, I'm not going to say no to anything. And they've been great to me. I think it's been a square deal. And, you know, specifically to that question, I don't know, but I'm open to anything. As you understand it, um, what is the future of Outside the Lines and management support for it? Uh, I think it is... Solid for Square. It is in the hands of uh, Andy Tennant, the executive producer, Norby Williamson, Connor Shell. My understanding is there's an absolute commitment that's been expressed. That was expressed to me even before I, I reached my decision to not return. We were having you know some discussions back and forth and just you know staying in touch. And it's been made clear to me that there's a great belief in the show. And um, 
you know, any suggestions that it's going to be any different because I'm not there in the process. When you've got people of the caliber of Andy Tennant, who has stewarded uh, E60 to, I, I, I lose track of the amount of awards E60 and Andy's people have won. And, uh, Jeremy Schapp, Ryan Smith, Robin Dunn, principal producer of the show. She's a dear, dear friend of mine, Dave Sorosi. The, these, are, these are quality people, great journalists. And it's going to continue. And it's going to change because it has to. It changed while I was away. They have better ideas. You know, if you don't evolve, you become stale. And that's the one thing in our culture. And there I go, our culture at ESPN that has always sustained us. There he goes again. Uh, <laughs> we adapt. We adapt. We change. And you have to be malleable. You, have, you constantly have to challenge. And they will do that. They will do that. So it's there. They've got that studio, which is gorgeous. Um, and... Uh, I'll be watching. Not every day, not every day live, but it'll be on the DVR. One of the things I, I'm quite impressed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop a, a curse here, but I think it's the right word. One of the things that always impressed me about your career was you did not have a major fuck up in 40 years, as far as I can <laughs> see, in terms of just getting in the. You you were opinionated. That's going to be on the tombstone. That's on the tombstone. I can it is. See it's it now a, when you come to visit. He didn't have a major bleep up in 40 years. <laughs> It's a very good tune. I feel like that's a good tombstone for anybody. Um, yeah. So, but how did you? I mean, ha, so how did that happen? I mean, you're you're certainly not without opinion. You you speak your mind, but you you were able to navigate what for other uh, on air people there sometimes has been difficult terrain to navigate. Well, uh, that's like asking a guy who you know uh, diffuses bombs for a living. How come you you know you're here and not splattered against the, <laughs> the wall? I mean, I I, I don't know. Um, you know, there's some outtakes the night I called myself Dan Patrick on the air, and um, uh, you know, there's you know a couple of other. Trust me, there, there there's a gag reel full of of stuff, but bad takes. This that I you know I talked about. We got a story wrong in '85 at the Final Four. I I didn't know, um, you know about whether uh, Lou Olson was succeeding Joe B. Hall. We go on the air with it. Dick Vitale and I each develop sources. The contract was right in front of Lou. Well, you know what? The pen didn't go to the paper. You got to follow it home. That was a triple, not a home run, as far as you know. The facts have to cross the plate with the facts. Uh, but to your, I, I, I get the sense of what you're saying. I, I don't know. I, I just there's just a filter, I think, that reminds you you have a responsibility that to the show, to the people you work for, to the people at home. That though all of those things are bigger than what your thoughts are. And um, um, you know, it's good to have fun. It's but you know. It, you know, have I dropped a couple of uh, f bombs in the studio? But all fair, yeah. Having and it's a bad habit to have, man, because it can bite you. I'm lucky I didn't get caught on some of those, but um, I think you need to have a sense at all times that it, it, we're doing what you're doing. It, it's a great responsibility and treat it as such. Bob, um, one of the things that uh, when you work at a place for as long as you worked at for is you see a lot of people come and go. You see uh, layoffs. You see a culture and operation sometimes change. So let me ask you just a couple specifics here. How did the, especially over the last, let's say, five to seven years, how did those rounds of layoffs, those rounds of some of those people leaving, impacted you? Because that that really changed uh, sort of the composition, at least on air, of ESPN and off-air as well. Um, so I'm going to answer in two parts. I'll answer sure. the second part first because you may want to follow up because I'm going to tell you it was a great impact. But it, 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 at the end of the day, 
it didn't really put a thumb on the scale for my decision. Now, having said that, I'll circle back and give you the A answer, which was I was effing gutted. I was in tears uh, on some days um, saying goodbye to some friends. And just thinking about some of those conversations, now I get emotional. Uh, you know, we said goodbye for whatever reasons to uh, decades of institutional memory. You know, I lost in aggregate, you know, centuries of friendships in the workplace. Now, I understand intellectually all the reasons that were stated why this had to happen. You can take issue with some of it or not. But you know what? It ain't my company. It's well above my pay grade. They get to make those changes. Um, and it is true that ESPN was so well managed and such a phenomenal success in the marketplace that we, for years, had escaped that part of an industrial shakedown that so much of the rest of society and the economy had experienced. I mean, look around. I mean, as I said on the air, uh, I think one of the, when I was the second round, how many rounds were there, Bob? Separate them in your mind. But I think the second round of cutbacks with my very good friend, David Brofsky, who I stay in very close touch with, was let go and I did a tribute to him. And I, part of the preface to that was that, uh, you know, you don't need at home need to hear us whining because, you know, you've all had things like this in your life or the lives of people close to you. We've all know people who have put in 25 years in a company and then uh, here's your exit package and uh, there's the box. Clean your desk out. We're making some changes. Um, so it, it was it was very, very difficult. And I stay in touch with a number of people as best I can. It did change the place. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are metrics that will say, you know, that, that will say, well, it enabled us to do X, Y, and Z, and this. And I get it. You can't fight City Hall, and we had to change. There's some brutal truths here, but it, it, it was very, very impactful. And um, you know, I had some. You know, John Skipper came down to my office. He said, no, I'll come down to your office. Not, you know, he wanted to talk to me about this. He's, I mean, you know, I, we lost, uh, I lost a lot of people. I mean, it, it's, it's visually stunning to come to work after all this stuff went down and see office after office with their nameplate gone around the newsroom on the, on the perimeter of the newsroom. And, you know, I knew that guy 30 years and I, you know, I'll take you know, that guy, Dave Miller, who's now working in Nesson in Boston. I know the final fours and he and I and Dick Vitale spent years together. Bob Rauscher, David Brofsky, Steve Vecchioni, who was, uh, with me for 35 years, the last, uh, seven or eight of which on, on outside the lines, all of these guys. And it's tough, but, um, and, and uh, if I, I'm going to say what I'm going to say next, it's going to sound cavalier. And they're going to say, gee, Bob, you didn't get laid off and they paid you rather well, but life goes on and it does. And, and I, you know, but it's, it was tough. Bob, were any of those, any, during those tough moments, um, did you ever consider leaving uh, just because the, the place was a little bit different than what you thought it was following these kind of layoffs? No, I, I don't, I don't think any of that, um, drove me to the point of saying, ah, screw it. I'm out of here. Um, if anything, I think it illustrated to me the need to, uh, to for us to buckle down and do what we have to do and show that whatever the changes were, we're going to still be the same. Bob, you, um, you moderated, maybe probably multiple, but I, I at least know of one uh, for sure, a town hall on sports and race. Um, mm-hmm. you, did, you did many shows at, uh, on Outside the Lines. 
on the nexus of sports and politics or the nexus of sports and race. And you are very well aware of this um, cultural battle, I, I would say. It's been going on where ESPN has been a part of that. Um, President of the United States comes out, mentions ESPN, uh, mentions ESPN commentators. You know, that's where things get uh, real. And I, so I just want to op- ask you a sort of an open-ended question with some of the ESPN's, you know, strongest voices on this gone. Um, how do you view the 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 responsibility of the SPM when it comes to covering these stories and maybe more than that um can you do what Jimmy Pitaro is trying to do and 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 sort of cover this stuff but at the same time not want your front-facing people to be so politically oriented on Twitter Instagram etc yeah well it's a devilishly sensitive and complicated issue I think, um, and I had long conversations on several occasions with, with John Skipper about this, our former president. In fact, uh, the very morning, President Trump, and we're sitting in our morning meeting about 7.20, I, you know, I'm refreshing his Twitter account. It was like September of 17, or is it early? The whole Jamel thing was percolating, and that was the morning he, he not, not uh, his press secretary, took off after our network by name. Well, that's about 7.25, and I know that at 8 o'clock I have a pre-existing appointment to go upstairs and talk to John some more about this whole political bi- alleged bias issue and how we deal with it. So I, I, you know, I cut and pasted that tweet and, and mailed it to John. I was probably the first of about 5,000 people to do it. And 35 minutes later, he and I are looking at each other across his desk saying, you know, he's saying, well, you've got to help me uh, figure out what we're going to say to the White House. And I said, well, I'll gladly help you, John. I said, but I, you know, it was a Friday. I wanted him on the Friday for it. You know, uh, he wanted to do it, but I think on reflection, he decided not to. You know, that just shows you the real world timing of all this. You know, the, the, in in retrospect, a number of observations. Um, I'm not sure all of my colleagues at every step of the way understood that the um, platform they had publicly, not just on ESPN, but in the vocal world of Twitter, was a function of their prominence on the network. It was a megaphone that they didn't quite fully own. Um, no, that's one. Two, um, being a, a middle-aged white guy, my radar is tuned very differently than being an African-American in this country and having visited and heard everything in the optics around Charlottesville and everything the president has said and everything else that goes on about race um, in society in this country. And so I recognize that my I come to this from a point on the compass very different from some of my colleagues, many of whom I consider good friends. Um, one of the neatest things, and I, by the way, if you worked with me, I'm trying to get back to you. It's been humbling. If you, if you reach down on Twitter, it's, it's near impossible <laughs> to the bottom. But Bamani Jones says something very nice, and, and he says, you know, my view of the world is very different than Bob's, but, you know, he appreciated the fact that we always would talk, and I would often have him on the show. Um, there, I'd like to think we, we provided a window of civility in, in all of this that if you zapped around the balance of your cable dial, you didn't always find uh, was there a liberal? Is was there a pronounced liberal bent to a lot of the things associated with ESPN, be it on our platforms or reflecting back on us from Twitter? The answer is indisputably yes. 
and I, I, John and I talked about this, Skipper and I, in front of a large meeting of people in April of 2017. And it's a function of, of who the people are at our company, where we work. We're in the Northeast in one of the bluest states. And I, you know, it, it's not a cabal. It, it, you know, if you're a Republican or if you're right of center or if you felt that the views on the network didn't reflect yours, I, let me just assure you there's no Star Chamber, Secret Society, or Masonic Lodge meeting trying to uh, say, oh, what are we going to do now to push the agenda? No, it's just a function of just the atmospherics and the air supply. Having said that, whenever we worked, at least in our little corner of the universe, being outside the lines, I tried to make clear to our staff, and they were great about it. Okay, fine, we have this issue here, the bathroom bill. We need, we need to find somebody who will defend it if we're going to put this uh, uh, opponent of it. And I'll tell you, sometimes it's tough to find a spokesman on some of these issues. But I think everybody was great in putting aside their personal beliefs. I'll tell you, quite frankly, you sit around our pond at Outside the Lines, and these people I all consider friends, and I hope they feel the same way. And I might have been the only guy voting one particular way on some issue, but we all could discuss it and, 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 re and respect each other and, and, more importantly, produce a show that was fair about the whole thing. And, um, you know, and I turn on other examples of media now and I, I look at things that are labeled news show and I say shit you already put the red E on this with your explicit F-bomb before so I'll just double down <laughs> and, and, and say shit that's not a news show and I network shall go unnamed but call it commentary but you know the, the thing that gets to, to impact me in this and I know I'm wandering a little bit here is that but people that are now want to do this for a living and, and, and looking at journalism and, 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 and interest in the public square, thinking that that's fully acceptable. And I'm sorry. I mean, I'm old school. Capital O, capital S. Play it down the middle. If it's commentary, label it commentary. But the, this cross-pollination of the two is, I find, a little disturbing. But it, so it puts the impetus on the consumer to be really educated about what you're consuming, from whom and why. I, I, I appreciate. First of all, I, I appreciate that answer. It's really interesting. Um, I don't agree with everything you, and I, you said there. You and I have talked about this. I remember one yeah. time in your classroom at Columbia University, and the topic was it was a private conversation, but I'll take it public now. I'm sure you won't mind about the relative merits of individuals in the media putting their personal political views out there. And I think you and I right. see it differently. That's great. That's great. We can. We can. You know. Um, and, 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 and so everybody's educated about, you know, individual A feels this way, individual B, I don't know, but, you know, there's nothing in his work to indicate otherwise. That's, I, I listen, and we, we do disagree on that, but that's where, you know, I have great respect for you that we can have a conversation. Do you think, and this is, listen, I'm certainly not naive to this, but, um, is the wisest decision, uh, for a company like ESPN at a certain point to just do a blanket as part of like working here? you sign some document to not put any kind of uh, politics on your individual media freeze, whether that is legal or not. I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm just wondering, I don't, I guess I would say, I don't know how you could ultimately control it as a company outside of, I guess the hammer of you'll lose your employment if you do this. Well, I, that's one way to look at it, but I, 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 you know, I'm sure the lawyers have conceded that it's legal. The current, yeah. Um, media policy, I do believe, was drafted by Kevin Merida, who was 20-plus years at the Washington Post, a gentleman I worked with. Kevin, right. if you're listening, but we owe each other a dinner, and we're going to do that. And a guy I have the ultimate respect for. 
uh, and I, I think share some of my views about the separation of, of news reporting and commentary. So I, I think, look, you come into a company, uh, if, you know, you, you gain a lot. They're giving you health insurance. They're giving you life insurance. They're giving you, you know, if you elect pet insurance, if you want to buy that, mm-hmm. by the way, you should. Um, you know, but at the same, you know, and, and, and you're gaining the mantle of being able to, you know, business cards and now you're working for ESPN. But it's a two-way street. They ask you to do certain things. Now, for example, I, I, one of the things I did during my, my sabbatical, I become a, a, a bit of a community organizer in my little town on the Connecticut shoreline, not quite like Mr. Obama in his formative years, but like we're walk, working on some public safety issues. But I never would never even trade on the fact that I, you know, I, I, I have a national profile in, in the sports media. I'm just the guy that lives on, you know, that street over there. We want to meet with the, the police commission and talk about speed limits. You know, my point is... Your, your, your national profile doesn't have to uh, extend to every aspect of your life. And if the right. company is asking you to, to, to make some of those differentiations, I think you have to give it consideration and, and deference. I, I pre- that's a reasonable statement, and I appreciate that. Um, all right. I wanted to ask you, Bob, in terms, of, um, in terms of your work at Outside the Lines, what was it like for you internally to navigate – let's say, reporting on the NFL with the NFL clearly not liking that reporting. What was that dance like for you over the course of weeks, years, months, et cetera? Um, you know, let, all right, let, let's get the elephant in the room out of the way. You know, Frontline 2013, that decision, not, not the best decision uh, ever offered by our company, but I, I think that's an absolute outlier. Uh, having said that, we had nothing but support at every level when we reported um, on issues involving rights holders. And, and, and if you do it correctly, uh, which is, you know, if you get your facts right, you reach out for comment, you knock on the front door of the party you're reporting on and say, do you have a comment? Would you like to have a guest? And internally, everybody is alerted, especially if it's a larger project, you know, you tell your bosses, and they let the program, the proper people know, so that the other side knows. Politic, you know, on the other side of the church-state division. Hey, we're doing this. Just so you know, it's going to happen. Um, and you know, I, there was something said on, um, I think it was your podcast by John Oran, that I, I, I got to circle back with John because I, I don't know what his sourcing was, and I, I it's the one thing that kind of bothered me about all the things that were said last week. I never took delight in any of that about the whatever action reaction we we. Um, elicited we were there to do the story and i hadn't you know sit down with a a major figure in the league at one point it was it was polite and it was professional but you know the points were made clear about our reporting to me and we respectfully agreed to disagree i don't think we'd ever convince each other of and but that opened the line of communication to the point where going forward i could always count on text being able to reach you know this individual by text and say you know, uh, this is what we're doing, and, and he he would offer, well, look at this and look at that as far as differing scientific reports, if it's concussions. Um, and I, I, I just think uh, I think uh, that league in particular, the National Football League, suffered by from some uh, less than optimum media uh, relations for a number of years, and I think they've gotten, I think that's improved. And But I think but it's true with every 
rights holder, whether you're talking about the National Hockey League and head trauma or if you're talking about Major League Baseball or, or the NBA, the Tim Donaghy thing, and I was not involved in that. Um, if, if there is unhappiness, uh, it's shielded from us. You know, we're there to do the job. And um, uh, what can I say? I mean, those that think that strings are pulled and stories are killed are, are speaking uh, without the facts. You, um, you are, anybody who knows you knows that you're a massive uh, soccer fan, football fan, global football fan, and you fronted many of ESPN's biggest global soccer tournaments from World Cups to uh, Euro Championships. It always struck, I have no idea, so I'm curious actually to the answer to this question, but it always struck me that your favorite assignment or most memorable or maybe life-changing assignment was the South African World Cup. Um, am I right about that? And if not... What would be the, the, the soccer tournament or uh, soccer assignment that for you always stays with you ab- ab- above all the rest? Well, there's nothing like doing a World Cup because it's, you know, it's a year of your life to do it right. The run-up, the reporting trip, the research, the qualifiers, and then the cup itself. And, uh, you know, regional championships – Gold Cup or or or, or uh, the European Championships, they're just as good. But now you read me right. Um, I just this morning got a very gracious handwritten note from uh, my old colleague Jed Drake, who was the executive producer of several of those World Cups, and he promised all of us before 2010 this this experience will change your life. And well, you know, and Jed, you know, like to say of himself, I I don't know soccer, but I know big. And he was given the grandiose statements. And thing was, he always and delivered on it on air and that's that's why he was in charge but he was right and uh you know we did that turnout was just 20 years after nelson mandela was released from prison and 20 years after um and and 16 years after majority rule took over in south africa a nation that been you know 17 years prior to the tournament nearly dissolved in the civil war people forget the violence um I made three trips to South Africa in connection with that World Cup, two of them simply for reporting. And uh, in, in the middle of the 2010 tournament, and I've told this anecdote, I told it the other evening when I was uh, inducted into the National Sports Media Hall of Fame. Uh, in the middle of the 2010 World Cup, I flew down to Cape Town to conduct an interview with a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And before we started... He said, would you mind if I just simply offered, and this is a tiny cluttered office, there are 10 of us powered in there. He says, do you mind if I simply offered a brief non-denominational prayer? And as I said in my remarks, who was I to say no to Archbishop Desmond Tutu? Um, <laughs> you know, that when you are led in private prayer by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, you, this is more than a soccer tournament. You know, when you talk to people who observe any apartheid, police massacres in the 70s in Soweto, um, when your security, and we travel with security everywhere in South Africa, when you go to some neighborhoods looking for some stories, and even hard-bitten security guys who have seen it all and done it all whisper in the ear, we got to get out of here now because it's getting dicey. It's like, oh, okay, we're, we're pushing the envelope here. And then there was the football, which was, you know, Spanish arguably the greatest team ever. Uh, haven't seen one since then to compare with them. Yeah, it was fun. It was it was joyous, and, you know, it included uh, that great USA-Belgium match. So, you know, the, the, the only thing I wish we could have been was back in the States a little bit to have some of the excitement. But, you know, that came through to us 
you know, eight or 9,000 miles away what it was like back here. But that was fun. And, and I still, still have friends down there, um, one or two check-in recently. And, uh, and I'd like to go back as a tourist. I bet. And actually, you know, from your from ESPN's World Cup coverage, uh, and this is no necessarily disrespect to Fox, but nobody's still in the in domestically. Nobody in the states has still has been able to match your post match hangout conversations that you guys had over multiple World Cup tonight. I think you called it over yeah. multiple World Cups. That that was a uh, for whatever reason, whether it was chemistry, whether it was just the relaxation of the people on set. Uh, that was as good a soccer talk as we've ever seen after matches. Well, thank you. I mean, look, everyone's doing, you know, I think Fox has got a, a very good product, and many of those guys are good friends of mine. But uh, what it was was a conversation among people. That'd be the same conversation we'd have in the green room or at the hotel bar or out at dinner. And, and I ta- and, and I, remember, I'm working with a lot of people for whom English is a second language, and I, I mean, my respect for that is is through the roof. I mean, I one time tried to do, I know a little soccer Spanglish and I was in Honduras and I tried to do an interview in Spanish and I said, busted guys, I'm sorry, we have to do this in English. My respect for that is just over the top. But to, these are people we would all hang out and, you know, to, to say that, you know, you can exchange, uh, you know, emails years afterwards and, you know, with Roberto Martinez and he's your buddy. And, you know, it, I remember, <laughs> I remember in South Africa, we'd all try to work out because it, it was imperative, imperative to be in shape physically because of the grind of the days. So I'd try to do three, four miles just walking up, you know, on a slight incline on a treadmill. And so Jurgen Klinsmann was working with us in those days prior to a number of years prior to his being a national team manager. And there I am huffing and puffing at 5,000 feet of altitude in Joburg on this uh, on uh, this slight incline, I don't know, I have a few degrees, you know, doing my 30, 40 minutes. Jurgen comes in, he nods, gets on the treadmill next to me. And if you ever want to feel inadequate as an organism, <laughs> you know, he's, he's just, he's got this thing cranked up to sub, you know, supersonic speed. And he's right. He's not even, he's not even sweating, you know, and it's just <laughs> like you realize what insanely well, trained and yes gifted but well trained and focused athletes these men and women were who worked with us when at their prime and and just good company to be around i mean santi solari who was working with us the last several cups coaching real madrid this year you know and be able to you know you're able to trade emails with the with that manager of real madrid who by the way played college soccer in new jersey at stockton state chew on that one for a bit um, did not, did yeah, not know that. Great, great experience. Hey, by the way, you're probably the only guy to play soccer, uh, college soccer in New Jersey, and play for San Lorenzo, the Pope's team in Buenos Aires. I have uh, seen San Lorenzo play live, and uh, it was a just a fascinating uh, experience, um, and uh, and a little bit frightening because when you know when a team scores, and the fans sort of rush the fence. It's it's Argentinian soccer is very different than MLS. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> well, any anything uh, south of the Rio Grande brings a passion that I, I'm so glad I you know there's I re- remember several times being in Honduras and Honduras would score in the U.S. in a qualifier and the sound was so loud it had a palpable physical quality. It, it, it was amazing. Yeah, I agree. All right, a couple more here. Um, it strikes me 
that teaching at Seton Hall would be such a great fit for you. It would be fulfilling in terms of intellectually and stimulating to be around young people. Obviously, the young people at Seton Hall would get something great out of it. Have you pursued that at all? Is that a possibility? Well, I, I, I've done I, I've done some uh, some classes down there. I'm sure I'll be doing some more. Uh, one of your former colleagues, B.J. Schechter, who worked at Sports Illustrated and runs Baseball America yep. as the professional residence there. So, yeah, we've got we have a new president coming in, Dr. Joseph Nyer, and I had a conversation with him. So I, I want to be doing some things there and as much bringing some of the folks that I have relationships with and to, to work with. And, I, and one of the great uh, boons of the last week, I've been approached by a number of schools who have invited me to, to do similar things or just to speak. And so I, I want to... You know, put a calendar together and do some things. I, I the only thing about um, my work at Seton Hall is that the traffic. On I, Rich, I know you're in another country, but the tra- I don't know what it's like on your Canadian expressway. <laughs> but the traffic on I-95 in Connecticut is 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 otherworldly, and will soon be, I think, be paying tolls for the privilege of sitting in a dead stop. <laughs> yeah, Toronto is not the traffic. Uh, Torontonians will tell you that the traffic is rough, but it's. It, it pales to the states, in my in my humble opinion, at least between uh, Connecticut and uh, and New York. Have you, Bob? Have you thought about either doing a podcast, um, a book, or anything sort of under those lines? I've I've got some thoughts. I don't want to get too specific, but you know, there, there's some ideas percolating, and uh, you know, we'll see. But as I said, yeah, you'd be surprised how quickly your calendar can fill up. I mean, I got. I got the Asbury Jukes this coming weekend. I got I got uh, little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul the week after. Uh, we've got Sean Colden coming up. We got the Stones in, in August. So you know, the, ca- the concert calendar is filling up. It's summertime. <laughs> yeah, who knew? Who knew that you'd be you're you're, tra- you're traveling basically? Uh, it's almost famous, oh, I, basically. I, exactly. I'm going to be the backup <laughs> roadie for the Jukes. I think behind the guy that got called Hood. <laughs> Uh, all right, so here's where um, we'll sort of uh, end up on. Um, I realize this is such a hard thing to do given all the different stories that you have worked on, but um, is there a particular story that, as you now sit back, that you would sort of consider the most challenging, uh, the most satisfying? Um, I'd be curious if there's, I, above all the different pieces that you worked on, if there were some, if there are a couple of pieces or a couple of subjects that stand out, wow. Um, you got me flipping through the pages of my digital memory here. I, I got to tell you, I, we we touched on it before. We were reporting on brain trauma, contact sports, specifically football, in in the year two thousand. I mean, Troy Aikman was still in the league. I remember what spurred that that. Um, particular Sunday show was the first year of Outside the Lines as a weekly. And Aikman, I think, had believed it. He, he wasn't even sure, had suffered his eighth concussion. And I, I know that we've done so much on that through the years with my colleagues, Peter Keating, T.J. Quinn, uh, the Fainteru brothers. Uh, I, I start naming names, I'm going to miss the great reporters who have added to just our our, our file of these. And, you know, I, we tried to be as thorough as fair and, and learning, you know, that principally we don't know what we don't know about this. And, and so about, I think it was Mother's Day two years ago, we were walking out of a restaurant in upstate New York. We we're visiting uh, my daughter and her husband, 
that time our granddaughter, and we're walking, and there's about six or seven of us. And after a while in the public eye, you develop that radar when you have a corner eye. You know someone wants to approach and say something, and indeed that was the case, and that's fine. It's the highest of compliments. But this gentleman walked over, introduced himself, and said he was a neurosurgeon at a local medical center in, in Albany, and he just wanted to thank us for our work in the field and how much it meant uh, helping to educate the people, that he, people are coming into him already educated because of the work we had done. And I've gotten some similar correspondence over the years. And when you get something such as that, uh, you realize that it, it, it was, a, yes, you knew at the time it was an important story, but you realize it rippled and it has a life and it has a reason. And that, that's pretty neat. Last one for me, Bob. Um, you know the expression about sort of being a visitor at your own funeral. Uh, so all, yeah, all these notes and all these, uh, tweets and all the texts that you've gotten, um, congratulating you on a great run and, and being thankful for your friendship and your work. I, I have no doubt. It's obvious that that is flattering and, and you like that, but, and this is what I want to ask you, cause there's a converse to it. Is it surreal to, to get these messages in the sense that like, well, you know, you're not dead. You want another chapter intellectually or professionally, yet the public sort of thinks this is the last step for you. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's interesting to me yeah. in that, like you were you were trending on Twitter, um, which again, you know, certainly notable and great, but half and the I'm people not a half, I'm not a Kardashian. Right. Well, I was going to say half the people who trend on Twitter have done so because they've passed away. So I'm happy that that that's not the case for you. <laughs> But I just wonder, was it was it all of those things? Was it flattering? Was it surreal? Was it what do I do next? I just I wonder what that all the messages and the flood of well wishers. What's that been like? Because most of us won't be in that position. I, I tell you, I, I, I feel like Huck Finn, you know, uh, at a Twain in the church balcony watching. It, it's been I can't, professionally. There's there's never been there can never be anything to to match this. Um, yeah, I, I'll I'll start crying if I tell you some of these conversations, and I don't want to break some confidences. But the things that people have said, personally and in and in print and in text, and again, if if you've reached out, please know my family and I deeply appreciate it. And I'm working, I'm chipping away at the pie. I want everybody who reached out. I'm trying to respond. And the things that have been said have been just. Uh, people are are recounting to me conversations from decades ago. And I, I take them at their word, uh, and I, I'm just glad my parents raised me right. Apparently, I, you know, you treat them okay, and that's, that's nice. Um, but all of this has, for me, affirmed that it's the right decision. And I think the most of the people, the, gra- the vast majority of those reaching out, especially those uh, who know me personally, realize that it's, you know, it's side A. We're going to flip it over and see what... On, on, on the flip side, on side B, and you know, I've tweeted a list of great B sides. My buddy Bruce Bernstein sent me this link. There's some great B sides out there. But by the way, kids, that's when we used to play vinyl, and there was a thing <laughs> called a side with a hole in the middle, um, or the B side, the side two of an album. So I'm not worried that people think, you know, I, I, in joking fashion, I'll tell, them, hey guys, I'm not dying, you know, be, be in touch, but. Uh, I can't tell you what that has meant in in recent days. Um, 
and to get into details would sound self-aggrandizing, and I don't want to do that. But it's just uh, things have been said to me that I just I'm blown away. There was one email came in the other night, and I was in tears, and I showed it to my wife, who was sitting next to me, and it felt the same way. I can't even describe things that have been said. So thank you if you've reached out, even if you just had a good thought, and know that it's much appreciated. And, you know, I'm going to be doing some things, uh, hopefully, that'll have some good attached to them. I'm going to – but I, the, the analogy I make is as a guy who had 19 hours of flight lessons before his vertigo got the better of him and he couldn't get his license, uh, but I was in the left-hand seat. I'm, I'm powering back here from Mach 3 to subsonic uh, just to, to slow down just a bit. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've had a lot of people in my circle – uh, personally, in our family circle, in the last year and a half, that have had some challenges and 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 moments, and it just focuses you on the necessity of realizing there are no guarantees here. And uh, you know, to those who say, "How can you leave?" I respond half jokingly, "Did you want me to just, you know, be toe tagged in Studio C and carried out?" <laughs> so uh, we're leaving at the right time. I know I leave behind the best people I could hope for to continue with the show and with the mission. And, and, and that extends from Studio Z up to the very top of the company. There is a commitment, and it's real. And uh, if nothing else, they know I'll be watching. But I will be watching with confidence and appreciation. And Jimmy's uh, very kind statement last Wednesday said it all. I mean, the best way they can say thank you, he said, is to continue. And I believe that. And I, I'm going I'm, I'm to be watching and, and believing it's going to come true. The, uh, the acclaimed uh, sports journalism professor, uh, Sandy Padway, who worked at uh, Columbia University, also worked as a sports editor of the New York Times, as well as an editor at uh, Sports Illustrated, and was a consultant with Bob Lee at ESPN, famously called him the conscience of ESPN, and that has been, uh, that has been said by many over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Bob Lee announced he will retire, so I guess in this case he has retired, from ESPN um, after 40 years with the network, he uh, um, leaves a great legacy when it comes to outside the lines, Sports Center, E60, and all the work he did. Obviously, as a front-facing person on there, breaking news. Bob, listen, man, I know uh, I know you got a lot of requests uh, and you got a lot of things going on. So I really appreciate you giving me some time today. I wish you nothing but the best heading forward, and uh, and I'm sure uh, we will stay in touch on our paths. Will cross. I, I, uh, certainly, thank- I certainly hope so because I mean I you know and folks listening should know that I, I annually would speak. You mentioned Sandy. You picked up the mantle from him in teaching a sports journalism class at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. One of the highlights of every year was your invitation, and I would gladly come down and speak there. I'm having lunch with Sandy next month. Looking forward nice. to that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and I've always, Rich, even when we saw things differently, always enjoyed our conversations, and I hope we have many more. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, Jay McManus, who co-taught that class with me, it was one of our highlights of the year for the students, always bringing you down. Bob, uh, thank you so much, and uh, and I'll be in touch. Happy uh, happy concert going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> down in the pit, getting sweaty. <laughs> Take care. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Bob Lee, uh, who really was incredibly generous with his time. He's gotten a lot of requests, and obviously there's a lot going on in terms of getting back to people and uh, planning uh, the course of his summer. So uh, that, that was appreciated. And he was somebody I've been wanting to get on, obviously, since the announcement. And so that was really, really cool. And, you know, gave, gives you a real sense of 
why Bob Lee was as successful as he was. If you like this kind of uh, conversation and this kind of talk, uh, head back to the archives. Uh, last week was John O'Rand and James Andrew Miller, and Bob Lee was a big topic of that conversation, our reflections on Bob Lee and, and his impact. Before that, interested in covering an NBA championship team, had Michael Granger Sportsnet and Ann Killian of the San Francisco Chronicle in terms of, uh, and Mark Feinstein uh, on his uh, baseball book. So um, I was basically on how to cover a championship NBA team and Mark on baseball writing. And then just go down the list, Taylor Twelman, uh, Jen Hildreth, um, I think who else was here that we had recently, uh, Adnan Burke, Mike Lombardi, Jamel Hill, Rick Riley, Ron McLean, Jason Benetti, uh, Renee Young and Paul Heyman, two big Terrence is huge fans for those, my producer. Um, so check that out. Again, it's the Sports Media Podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, leave a review, hopefully a good one. That's how this thing stays in business. My thanks to uh, both Chris and Terrence for putting this together. Obviously, thanks to all the good folks at Cadence 13. And thank you to Bob Lee. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.